What's up, people? Welcome to this edition of the By the Hood podcast. Listen, I don't even know what episode this is. We're doing so much, but this is the By the Hood podcast slash webcast. I don't know how you're consuming this content, whether you're watching the video or you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Google, you know, all the various podcast platforms we're on. But however you're consuming this content, we do appreciate it. We have an amazing show in, in line for you right now because we have a very special guest. Uh, before we get to that, I want to say what's up to my brother, Corey, who's in uh, his new office, which is called The Car, because um, he's doing so much. <laughs> yeah, what's up, Corey? How are you? What's going on, Joe? Oh, man, I can't complain to nobody listening, fair and partly cloudy. But uh, <laughs> listen, man, um, this is, this is going to be a special uh, a treat for you guys because I have somebody that I follow on social media, and I, I told him, I said, I got to bring you on because I like some of your views. This brother is an investor himself, but he's also a tax advisor which is interesting in itself because there's a lot of people online who talk about real estate, stocks, investing, saving, but not a lot of people come at it from a tax standpoint, which is very important when you get into whatever field you get into. I mean, even if you just work a regular nine to five, having that tax knowledge can be, uh, can be crucial, but he's also an investor who has some strong opinions on a lot of things in the world of investing. So without further ado, I want to uh, say what's going on to my brother, uh, the finance rebel, Kamari Ellis. What's up, brother? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, um, uh, before we get in, because uh, I want to take a deep dive into some of the things that I've, I've seen you say and I've seen the conversations you have and the argument you have. Um, oh, God. Dude, we just, I got to go do some research. <laughs> <laughs> no, but before we do, though, um, tell us a little bit about your background in terms of like where you're from um, in, 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 the, in your schooling. Where'd you go to school? And where you from? And how'd you get into how'd you even get into finance? Was it something you wanted to do as a kid or how'd you land in this career? Yeah, born and raised in Philly, uptown kid. Uh, went to community college, uh, then went to Temple. I was uh, I went to school late. I went to college late, rather. So I didn't go right after high school. I didn't I didn't think uh, I didn't think college was uh, important right after high school. And then I worked worked in tech in tech for a little while, got laid off, and then I decided to go back to school, majored in finance. Uh, second second generation um, black business owner. My dad's first. He was an accountant. That's how I got into this whole thing. Maybe learn how to do taxes around 12 years old. I was a typical 12-year-old kid though, right? So I did some work, but I did a lot of goofing off as well. But um, the cool thing about it was, was I got to be around a lot of business owners, especially a lot of black business owners, and I got to see a lot of different things. But I hated accounting and tax. It was boring to me. But I always loved business, right? I was always reading... Um, the stock charts when I was a kid, my mom said I always read the stock charts when I was a kid as I found it fascinating. So I became a financial advisor after I stopped working with my dad. And then from there, I became a, uh, a stock investment analyst and then a portfolio manager with an institutional company. So I worked with a couple a couple of firms managing several billions of dollars in assets under management. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. So, so your father was an accountant. So uh, that's crazy how that works. You didn't even chase it, but somehow you ended up like <laughs> right back into the uh, to the same full circle. Full yeah, circle. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. That's what. So, where'd you go to high school at in Philly? Uh, Franklin Learning Center. Oh, FLC, FLC. FLC. Yeah. They used to crush us in basketball. But anyway, I see the handle there. Um, where'd you go? <laughs> yeah. Where'd you go? Me and Corey both went to Central. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I call. I call y'all the cold. You call, you call the, the what? 
practical. I'll be like, what year you graduated? Two five four, two five three. Like, hey, that's us. Both of us. That's two, us. Two fifty four. Two fifty four. It's like, when did you graduate? We tell them the year. You guys actually have like a number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We like skull and bones out here. Exactly. Um, yeah, but that's dope though. How how um, you don't know what year they graduated? Yeah, I think that's interesting. How you didn't even chase it, but somehow you know your father was a black business owner and you ended up in the same field. Like that. That's that's kind of a a dope story. Um. So getting into it, um, how, how did you, you said you used to manage your portfolio. So you have experience in terms of investing as well, but now like, you know, you're a tax consultant. So, well, I'm an investment and tax advisor, but yeah. the majority of my business, I'll be honest, is tax now. Um, tax is something I ran away from, from a, for a long, long time because um, I didn't find it exciting. Right. Mm-hmm. But what happened was when I started doing, um, when I started talking more about black wealth uh, and started really thinking about it and going through it, one of the biggest detractors from wealth, no matter what race, ethnicity you are, is taxes. And so that's when I started to read, to look at it a little bit differently. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that. Like, how many people do you come across that may have it all together in terms of investing, um, real estate investors who just don't know how? Because that's the thing about taxes, right? I had a guy tell me before that if you if you understand taxes, that could be a weapon in your arsenal in terms of building your wealth. Um, a, lot, right. a lot of us don't even focus on that. So it's funny when I was a, a quote unquote financial advisor, um, none of the people that I worked with talked about tax, and it always it always boggled my mind because I had some experience and I worked with my father and some other accountants. But a lot of times they were just looking to sell the product, and I would I would always want to think about. Well, what's the tax implication of it? Like, if you if you sell a stock, you know, you could potentially look at capital gains. Is it a short-term gain? Is it a long-term gain? What, like, what's it going to be? But nobody was talking about that. So, your friend, excuse me, your friend is absolutely right because when I look at it, I look at it from all sides a lot of times. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, because I've, I've even seen, um, I think it was Kiyosaki who said it, like, yeah, you got to look at taxes as being incentives. Right. So taxes tell you what you should be doing based upon the tax code because they're actually incentives and but no one really approaches them that way. Yeah, so, he's right. He's right. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Rich Dad Poor Dad first came out. And I'm a Kiyosak fan, but I, I feel like some of his stuff is a little flagrant. Um, like as at the time he was telling everybody to get corporations. And I would run into people that would form these corporations but didn't really have a business. And I guess that's not really Kiyosak's fault, but the people that just went out and blindly followed what he's prescribed without actually knowing what it, what it would do or what it, or what, you know, how it applied in context would always boggle my mind. I was like, this is costing you more money than you're going to make from it. Yeah. I mean, I, I find that all the time. Like I, you know, I've said it on here before, like a lot of times it's about taking action. I've seen people form LLCs. They go spend um, three and four and five hundred dollars on business cards, stationery, and and they have they haven't done one ounce of business yet. <laughs> so, is that, so, but is that really taking action though, or is that no, no, no that's not that, that's not taking action. What right. I mean by that is you should have took action to actually start doing some business first, then do all that other stuff. Right. Like, exactly, yeah, I, I, I see it all the time, man. They get these these fancy the fancy real heavy business cards. You know what I mean? They got the LLC. And I'm like, well, what do you do? Like, what have you done? Nothing, but, you know, I got the LLC and the business card. So, you know, what's so funny. I don't even carry business cards anymore. Yeah. Who does in 2019? I don't No, but I, I still get ridiculed. I mean, I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm 40 plus. So, you know, some of my contemporaries were like, why don't you have a card? 
So here, here's, I what I, here's what I started doing. Here's what I started doing. So I started like, all right, so my phone has like a little case on it. So what I did is I, I take one card and put it in between the phone and the case. Uh-huh. And ask me for a business card. I told him to take a picture of it. Right. So therefore, I don't have to carry a bunch of cards. So that's, right. Makes sense. Yeah. That's, I that's do kinda, yeah. yeah. So that's kind of my, my, my thing now. Yeah. All right. But here, here's what I want to talk about. Right. So, so, you know, you're a tax consultant. Um, you already talked about how you got into that. But I think some of your opinions that I've seen you share online in the argument, you get into a lot of arguments with real estate folks who are 100 percent real estate, you know, because you're a stock guy. Oh, you've been watching. Oh, I watch everything. Man. I watch everything. Because first of all, like, you know, um, within the finance and real estate investment sector, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a lot of us follow each other. So I just happen to I always I don't comment on every conversation, but I watch it because I find it interesting. I find the content interesting. Right. So um I found myself, I like to even see the debates because some people use social media for all kinds of craziness, you know, whether it's double tapping buns or whatever it may be, <laughs> but, but just, just watching those conversations, right? Like it, it actually helps me grow. Cause I, sometimes you'll see somebody say something and you say, oh, I never thought about it that way. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, um, whether it's a, a take on a cryptocurrency, whether it's the real estate for stock thing, but the real estate for stock thing to me is, is interesting because people be ready to like take sides. Like it's a gang, like, and your approach is kind of like, I've seen you argue actually both sides, but you said something on one time that I, that really uh, was funny to me. You said you actually like real estate, but you're more of a stock guy because you're lazy. So, <laughs> so, so I found that to be interesting, but I, I try to be honest. Yeah. What do you think about this whole debate that goes back and forth within our community? And, and why is it such? Because me as someone that talks to people all the time, I have the most difficult time getting our people to understand the value of owning companies. Um, it's easy to get someone to buy a property. What do you think is with, uh, with our people that, that makes it very difficult for them to understand, well, not even understand, even attempt to invest in a market? Uh, man, that's a, I get that question a lot. So the number one thing I think is trust. Um, our community does not have trust in systems in general. I see the government because of our history, right? <laughs> With good reason. We've been, we, right. We've been treated pretty poorly, right? Uh, and then you have to realize that black folks weren't allowed to even participate in the stock market. I mean, people talk about redlining a lot in terms of real estate, but they don't really understand that we weren't even allowed to participate in, uh, in the stock market. And, um, if we did, we would usually have to have a white guy be as a proxy for us and, and open up shares. And I know that's it. That's happened. But the other thing is, we can't touch it, smell it, or feel it. Um, and so a lot of times black folks over-index in real estate investments, especially in their homes, because they feel like that's their way of getting a piece of the American dream. I mean, that's, I'm guessing, right? Nobody really has the absolute answer, but that, that, that's, that would be my opinion. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is um, over the last couple of years, as cryptocurrency has become popular, I saw our people flock to that. And, and I've actually seen people in, you know, because of cryptocurrency become stock market investors, which I think is a good thing. But it also shocked me at how fast they were willing to jump behind cryptocurrency, considering their distrust and they're their not in, in investing in the stock market to begin with. But when crypto came, they, that was no problem. But you got to remember, crypto is all about distrust, right? And I don't know, did you ever see any of the arguments about with me and crypto? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've actually had some arguments about with, with you about crypto, right? And they're not real arguments, right? My my yeah. thing. This is my issue. Just to start off, most of us don't have a, a basic understanding about economics and financial markets in general. 
And so you don't have this understanding, but you think you do, and then you're going to jump out there and you're going to become these quote-unquote crypto experts. And then you're taunting. I'm going to tell you, I lost a lot of respect for a lot of our so-called um, financial leaders when they were pushing crypto at the height of crypto when we talk in 17, 18, $19,000. And it was clear it was in a bubble. Now, I don't really like doing the whole I told you so thing, but I do this. Like, and I will walk away from making money. So I don't just do this for the pay of it all. I do it for the love of it. And and part of that is fuel for our people. And it's like, y'all want to go into this and you want to spend your last little bit of money because you're chasing a fad because you want to get rich without doing the work. I mean, point blank. There's nothing wrong with being crypto, right? There's nothing wrong with Bitcoin, nothing wrong with Litecoin. There's nothing wrong with any of those. But do you understand what you're doing? Nine yeah. times out of 10, I found that most folks didn't. The best response I saw you give someone um, when they were asking you about crypto, you said, uh, do you have any money put away in case you lose your job? And yep. they're like, no. And you're like, well, why are you investing in anything? <laughs> I mean, that's facts, though. That's just life facts. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason like, why I call myself the rebel is because I feel like a lot of I, I'm struggling saying this because I'm seeing people say this and they take it in the wrong context, but I'll say it. a lot of the traditional ways that things have been done in the financial services industry don't don't service people well. It's, it doesn't do well for people. And I think the economy overall is based upon consumerism, uber consumerism. I mean, they pump ads to us. So I say we don't need to look at any of these fads. We need to invest in ourselves, understand what the system is, figure out how to then make the system work for ourselves and our families and our communities and move from there. But everybody wants to take the, the shortcut and jump from A to Z. And they don't want none of the journey in between, none of the, the knocks and bruises. They just want to get the bag. And so, again, sometimes, you know, like I said, I'm 40 plus. So technically, I probably shouldn't even be on IG in large respects, right? Because a lot of that market skews you know, 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, they know everything. <laughs> old, guy, old guy like me that survived several uh, and went through several stock market crashes don't know nothing. But, and I, I, but you know, that's, with, a great, that's a great point hold, right there. Hold on, hold on Jim. The, the, I have something to say about what he said. The only thing I would disagree with you on uh, with crypto is when you said fat um, and use fat and crypto in the same sentence. Um, I don't think that crypto is a fad simply because of the infrastructure being built for it. And that's the only... Well, that's blockchain, right? So we can talk about blockchain. Blockchain makes a whole lot of sense, especially long term. Blockchain and crypto, though. We're not just talking about blockchain. Cryptocurrencies will be around for the next few generations. They will be around. I'm not not even going to argue that. I, I totally agree with that. But I don't think they will ever replace the dollar. Yeah, government's um, not going to let that happen. Yeah, that's my take on it. Yeah, I know. I, I listen. They have a lot of reason not to. I, I feel like, and this might be the conspiracy theorist in me because um, I love a good conspiracy because it makes the world interesting. I feel like I feel like if crypto were to ever get to the point where it could take over, who, the people going to be behind the crypto are going to be the banks anyway. So, um, we're just going yes. we yes. to move. We're going to move yes. from one form to another. But so the, you lose all that de- decentralized effort of what it was supposed to be in the beginning and it'll just be for the bank's benefit and yeah. then so is it is it really i mean i know it's crypto but i'm saying this rhetorically is it really crypto is it really going to shield you from from uh overstepping of the government no 
This is going to be a currency used by government. Yeah. Now, yeah. Corey, I know I know you love crypto, and you, and you 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 consistent, bro. You, I, I'll give you that. You consistent. You, you stay. Yeah, because when I keep, I'm just saying it was a it's a money tra- it was a money transfer happening, and our people weren't taking any advantage of it. And that was my that was the point that I was making. It was there was a giant money transfer happening, and our and our people didn't have any say so and didn't get any of that money. And so, so I, what I was saying was educate yourself and go get a couple of these dollars. I wasn't saying I wasn't saying that you know crypto is going to take over the world. But when I see a when I see all this infrastructure, when I see all this money transfer hands, and we not getting no part of it, that bothered me. No, and it should. But it should also bother you that we're not getting any of the AI money or any of the electronic car money. Like, hey, listen, we're not getting enough of the marijuana money. We're being left behind in a lot of spaces. Right. But what's like, so, and, and this is no disrespect, but you're talking about the symptom, right? We are typically late to to the party because we come in when the money comes in. And we don't get in before, and it, and and it's a lot of issues for that, right? And I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody, but when I look at, I'm just use the Bitcoin example. When I look at Bitcoin, and everybody's rah rah Bitcoin is seventeen thousand, and you look at how fast it went, to me that's a fad. Now, to your argument, you are correct. I, I wouldn't say crypto is a fad, but I'm talking about in that particular that that time period and why people were jumping onto it. That's more so what I'm calling the fad. But we want to jump on a ship after it done left the dock. We gotta yeah. get we gotta get on before the dock's even built and help build the dock and help build the ship and then sail the ship. But and that goes to that trust, that trust thing you were talking about. Yeah. It goes to the trust and it also goes to, in my opinion, we have to realign. We have to realign our expectations. We have to make education a priority. I'm talking about the black community in general. And we have to start leveraging our unity and power. And so that's that's probably too deep a conversation for this. I think we're only rocking for an hour. Yeah, yeah. But you know what though? Um, that's a great point. Cause a lot of the a lot of the you, you talk about black wealth a lot, right? And yeah. you said something earlier about how when you started to really take a step back and, and, and study it. So um what made you take that step back? Like because you cause something made you like really reevaluate how you looked at black wealth. What made you take that step back? So I've always I've always kind of been about black wealth, just didn't have that title to it, right? Um, part of the reason why I chose to go into finance is because I felt the biggest problem in the community was our lack of money in finance. Um, and so why not get finance? I don't think that's our biggest problem now, but I'm still rocking along that vein. Oh, before so, you hold oh, before you move forward, what is our biggest problem now? You know, I just want to know like where you know. I, I so this is me. I think our biggest problem is culture. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Move on. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, we'll get back to that, but go ahead and finish your point. But I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's why I said, you know, this is another conversation for another time, but I think okay. Okay. Um, and, and so I got pissed off about something and then I wrote this like 5,000 word piece. I'll send it to y'all called the guide to black wealth. And I think there's a lot of simple things that we can do. Get life insurance. Support black businesses. Why support black businesses? Because black businesses tend to hire more black folks than anybody else outside of the federal government. Right? There's a lot a lot of easy um easy things that we can do, but we have a lot of other cultural and and uh societal issues that we're also fighting at the same time that nobody wants to talk about either. 
and I'm not talking about blaming anybody or anything like that, but this is just the reality of things. And so I had to just start looking at that. Um, Corey talked about some of the, uh, the events that I was doing along getting um, black people together. I did a lot of cash mobs where I would, uh, you know, it wasn't just me, it was a team of us. We would get the people together and we would go support a black business. I know I was one of the first people in Philadelphia doing that. Um, so, but but then when we look at some of the inner workings, just about every black organization kind of follows the same path. They do something for a little while, it works, and then it falls apart because the, the original fund founders or partners couldn't figure out how to work, yeah. right? So that's why I say money is a big issue. We definitely need more education with money, um, but culture, we got to work on some of the cultural things too to bring it all together. All right, real quick, explain that whole um, that, that thing you call the cash mob. How does that actually work? So you get people together and y'all go collectively and support a black, how's that work? Got it. So um, the idea wasn't mine originally. I saw some white cats do it. I think it was like Ohio or Illinois. Um, as a matter of fact, somebody brought it to my attention. There was a bookstore going out of business and they didn't want the bookstore to go out of business. So basically they had a party and they told everybody to come to the bookstore and spend 20 bucks. So the standardized definition of a cash mob is you get 20 people to go to an establishment and spend a minimum of $20. So that's a oh, okay. injection of $400 into that business on any given day. So oh, I, that's, that's dope. I, I never, yeah. I, believe it or not, I've never, never heard of that. Yeah, believe it or not, I've never uh, heard of that. But that's something yeah. that can be, that's something that could be duplicated city to city. Like, you know, city people out there listening. I mean, listen, man, like I, and when I said, when I said I was one of the first ones to do it, that don't mean other people can't do it. Right? And I, I know there were some other ones, right? But city to city and even multiple city. I mean, Philly's got over 700,000 black folks in this city um, mm -hmm. and a, a myriad of businesses that can use a lot of support. So yeah, we could do that because to me, our biggest problem in terms of just business and our, our businesses is marketing. We don't, we don't really understand marketing. We don't really try to market. And, and really be competitive to let people know black, white, green, red, or yellow, that we are here to do business. We, our product or service is just as good, if not better. So we can get all dollars, not just black dollars. Black dollars, yes, but I believe we should be competing for all dollars. Okay. Because okay. we're that good. Because we're that good. Yeah, that's, 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 that's dope. I never heard of that, but that's something that, like, cool, we need to, we need to do one of those, like, ASAP, like, find a black that's, business. That, that's getting done. That's getting yeah. done. I'll send, you, I'll send you an article. Um, well, we can talk offline about that. I, I'll be yeah. more than willing to be supportive, get involved, whatever. Absolutely. We can we can talk about that more. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So so man, you 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 gave us a lot a lot of lot of gems right there, but a lot of talking points too. Culture. You said culture is our biggest issue. I know you said it's a real deep conversation, but is there any way you can like uh, just shortly explain what you mean by that? Like you said, finance isn't it now? It's culture. Is you got you got like a, a I mean, again, I ain't trying to get too deep, but like when we think about wealth, a lot of times, and again, I'm speaking generally, right? What's our idea of it? I mean, this whole get the bag thing is about literally getting the bag. When I talk about wealth, I'm talking about infrastructure for the community. Yeah. So it's, it's I'm more. About, I'm talking about schools. Yeah. I'm talking about how do we, how do we have our own after school programs? How do we, how do we buy the hood or buy the block? Mm -hmm. right? Um. Because again, I know everybody thinks I'm anti real estate, but that's not what I'm, that's not really what I am. I'm agnostic. I'm with whatever works for whatever reason it's to work. If you got a school, obviously I want to say let's lease a, a building or buy a building. 
right? Just depends on the situation of the of the organization. But a lot of these things we could be doing ourselves every year. Our community complains about the school district not having enough funding. And I don't think anybody is really happy with the schooling or the, the quality of student that's coming out of public ed right now for the black community. So are we just going to keep expecting those people that have historically oppressed us to like miraculously give our children good education or are we going to do it ourselves? And again, that don't mean I got to be the teacher in there, but I can help. No, I get you. So it sounds like it's too much uh, rugged individualism, which is what we, uh, we suffer yeah. from. We try to do too much. It's about, it's about I and not us. Or and we, I mean, how you want to say it? You need both, right? You can't have a group without the person and the per- you, can't, you can't be a person without the group. But a lot of times it gets out of balance and out of whack. Yeah, but, yeah. So we, we need to start practicing um, more. more uh, see, co- people I'm take co- collectively, people take collectively and cooperative economics and they take it to mean one thing. But uh, to me, it means a multitude of things. Um, right. And, and of- you know, the other thing is, I just want to say this. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, pretenders out uh, in the landscape. Um, we don't really have a mechanism of calling those folks out. If you do say something that's any way remotely critical of them, you're immediately deemed a Tom or a hater. But at the end of the day, you could just be saying, hey, I have a perspective. These people, I've, I've been doing this for a while. These people aren't really coming up to snuff. You better be careful. Not even hate, just saying, just look at this and it's not hate so we can protect one another. We don't even have that. So, you know, it, it goes, it goes uh, uh, in a lot of different ways. Yeah, absolutely. So, but I, I agree with that one point that um, we 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 have work to do. So I get what you mean by that now. And um, and yeah. I know I know Corey talks about rugged individualism all the time and how that's one of the things that plagues us. Uh, you know, what I'm I saying? mean, I would, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, like it's it's like the thing about collective things is that it makes every time everybody's time more efficient. The thing I talk about more than anything is time. And then, so if we all use our time together, you know what I mean, to, toward the same point, toward the same goal, then we get more things accomplished. And the thing is, you can take care of yourself by taking care of the collective, because if you take care of the collective and it's done right, the collective will take care of you. But we don't see it that way. Yeah. Well, that's we don't that's... see it that way because we haven't really had a true working model of it, sadly. Um, and we can... It, it takes people. I don't think people realize how much work it really takes, though. No, it takes a lot of work. But if you look at any like major institution, and I don't care whether we're talking about a college, a business, um, mm. anything, it's it's all collective effort. There's nothing, in my opinion, that's been built that's a, a you know big in scale that's done by one person. I don't. It's not possible. It's never happened. It's well, never happened. And here's the thing, right? I don't really hear a lot of people talking about this. Um, when you talk about co- uh, cooperative economics or collective economics, every every great group uh, country uses collective economics. So, right, if you look at insurance companies, that's cooperative economics. If you look at banks, that's cooperative economics. If you look at hedge funds and mutual funds and private equity funds, that's cooperative economics. And so, you know, folks always talk to spoil yourself about the bootstraps, but they are working together in concert for a common goal to make money um, and you see it in various communities um, whether it's Susu with some of our West Indian brothers and sisters and even some of the West Africans uh, I know the Koreans have something that's very similar um, you know 
I don't even want to go start talking about Jewish folks because I always get people like to smack me around when I talk about Jewish folks. <laughs> but, you know, they spend yeah. money in their community. Yeah, yeah. I always, I always tell, I always tell the story when I was working in financial services years ago. Um, it was a Vietnamese brother in my office, and he used to, t- <laughs> he used to, we used to have conversations, and he used to like be really confused about why we don't support each other, and he, and, and he would tell me like, listen, he would say. We support each other when it's inconvenient. Like, I'll travel miles to go to a Vietnamese bank before I bank with a Wells Fargo or somewhere else. Yeah. He was like, I'll travel miles to go to a restaurant. He was like, he didn't. He just didn't even understand culturally why we didn't think that way. Like, it didn't make sense to him. I'm like, you know, you guys, that's a history lesson right there. But well, was he first generation Vietnamese or second generation? He wasn't for. He was second generation. He was second generation. So, but it was ingrained in him since right. he was a kid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but I I always go back to that conversation because um, he talked about it. You know, it's one thing to support if you're like, it's it's a black store in a a corner of your block. But when it's inconvenient, are you willing to do it when it's inconvenient? You know what I mean? And support each other that way. That's a test right there. Right. Most times not. (laughs) Yeah. Man. So, man, a lot of talk about this. It's a great conversation. But let me ask you this, though. Um, As someone who's a tax consultant and investor, someone watching or listening to this content, all right, and they want to get into investing. I think I know your answer to this. What is the first thing they should do? If they want to get into investing? If they want to become an investor, they're watching this and they haven't started. Maybe they got a job, you know, they're in their 20s or maybe they're in their 30s and they've been working but haven't done anything. What what would you say is the first thing they should do in terms of uh, trying to become an investor? Try to yeah, make so we talk, and obviously we're talking the stock market, right? So the first thing I would do is I would open up a brokerage account. Uh, I would open up a Robinhood account. I know a lot of, there's a lot of questions about which brokerage account to use. That's not even really that big of a deal. I mean, and from my perspective, but a lot of people have that question. I would say open up a Robinhood account or a, uh, a Capital One investing account. I believe you can open up both of them without any type of deposit with zero money. And then from there, I would just start putting if you don't have a whole lot of money, I would start putting $25 a month um, into them. You know, that's a couple, that's, you know, maybe five coffees, you know, sacrifice five trips to Starbucks and just put it into your account. And if you don't know what you want to buy in terms of stock, just let it sit. Um, if you, if you know what you want to buy, you can start researching the companies that you want to buy. But I encourage a lot of people to start buy what you know. If you wear Jordan's, buy Nike stock. If you if you got an iPhone, buy buy Apple. If you go to Starbucks a lot, buy Starbucks. Um and just start there. And then once you buy that, just buy a share or two. Um and start really researching the company. And know that investing isn't a overnight uh wealth creation thing. It takes time. But start looking at those stocks as businesses. Evaluate them as businesses for the long term. Are these good businesses for the long term? Like, um, I, st- I know Snapchat just popped a couple of days ago, but I still think Snapchat sucks as a business. They don't have a real biz- business model. But the but the stock jumped. Okay, that's fine. So then you got to be able to differentiate. Is this a uh, a short-term blip or is this a real new long-term trend? And I would say the Snapchat example is a, a short-term blip. Okay. So let me ask you a question um, based off that. 
How do you feel about traders? Do, do you do any trading or are you just strictly a long-term investor? No. So again, when I, when I was institutional, I day traded because um, I, I didn't have the same rules as everybody else. I actually, I still manage a little bit of money, but I'm not so much actively marketing it because it, it takes a lot. Um, but I don't have a problem with traders. I will say this though, 95% of traders lose money uh, because it's, 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 it's very involved. It's, it can be very emotional. I got a buddy of mine right now who calls me like daily asking me about a stock. And like, he's like obsessed with the movements and he does some, he does some things that I've told him not to do, but he still does it because he's chasing the money. He's not really learning. He's not really putting together a process, right? So the best traders to have a process, they have a, they have a strategy. They know how to manage money and they know how to manage risk. Um, and the best traders know that, I don't know, what, what was something popular today on the news? Let, let's go with Nike, right? So they say, uh, I don't know, for example, they saw Nike pop 10% and that was their target. They're taking some money off the table and they're going to let some run. But that's part of their discipline, right? And they're not trying to be greedy. Same thing if Nike drops 10%, they're probably going to exit the trade, right? Because they have tight risk management um, um, positioning. So, you know, it just, it just, it's just all about how well you can control your emotions. And I don't think most human beings can do a good job of controlling their emotions, one. And then two, a lot of these traders that are promoting trading, a lot of their people don't understand the market overall. And so they're just, they're doing it, but they're not educating themselves. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you are a janitor a barber or whatever, you got to learn your industry. You got to learn your craft. And, you know, I just see people just running, running after trading because again, they think it's a good get rich quick solution. Okay. All right. All right. That's, that's, that's a lot of great gems right there, right there. Um, how about this though? What is the biggest mistake you think people make when it comes to taxes? Oh man, not planning for them. Mm. Like, you know, everybody that came quick. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I've been doing it damn near all my life. So, um, people will wait to the last minute to start planning for their taxes. People will get upset if they owe money around April 15th. Well, you had all previous year. So like right now I'm really, I'm really pushing the mantle of tax planning in advance because you can reduce a lot of your costs if you make some simple moves a lot of times. And I mean, I tell all people, most people, all people that, um, the biggest tax breaks are for business owners and investors, especially real estate investors or with the new tax law change. But people, if it's not a priority, they're not going to get it done. But you see the wealthy are tax planning all the time. The true wealthy. Um, they're, they're trying to figure out how to mitigate their tax bill. Um, they, they're still going to pay taxes, but they're trying to figure out how to reduce their tax bill. They're trying to re- figure out how to reduce their liability a lot of times. Um, through tax planning. So, you know, they're very proactive about it. A lot of times, a lot of W-2 workers and our new uh, entrepreneurs and side hustlers aren't thinking about it until April 15th or tax season. Okay. And that's, that's, a, that's a big mistake. All right. So that, that's, that's good information right there. Be more about tax planning. Yeah. 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 Tax so planning that's, and tax strategies. Yep. That's, that's good information. So, all right, so man, you give us a lot of information. Um, <clears throat> a couple more things before we get out of here, though. Where do you see as the future of your business? What are you? Are, are you just gonna? Because I'm know, trying to figure that out now. 
is being honest. Um, I have a I have a real big heart for education. Um, don't be surprised if at some point you just see me doing nothing but education um, and maybe giving up uh, uh, advising um, and consulting. Um, but for right now, I, I know and uh, and, then, and I, are you asking me industry specific or for clients or no? Just actually, no, just in general. Yeah, just in general, like because right now you you know you you do a lot of the consultant work, tax work. What do you what do you want to do? Do you want to continuously do that, or do you have any other plans to do anything else outside of that? And it sounds to me like education. Education, education is my thing. Uh, I love content now because I I think of it as education. It's an opportunity to educate. All right. So um, anytime anytime I get a chance to talk, speak, um, I do it. I'm going to launch a podcast. Um, that's been supposed to have been launched, the Financial Rebel Show, but that's supposed to have been launched. But, you know, I'm always getting so busy with the family and everything. I haven't really had a chance to launch, but education. Um, but I'm pushing tax hard now because I see there is a hole in the market. Absolutely. Nobody else is really having that conversation. Like I said, there's a lot of conversation around investment vehicles, around right. saving but no one really tackles um, tax implications or, or tax, right. pl tax planning, as you just said, right. and, how, and, how, and how that relates to investing or, or business ownership. And it's funny kind of how it came full circle because I've always been about the educational piece. So like I ran my dad's business for a while and I wanted to make his office like an educational center for the community, you know, for the community. So they can learn not just about taxes, but about business, about, about insurance, about investments, because the way I look at it, it's all together. It, there really is no real, no real difference. It's like, you know, you want to have dinner and you got all these portions, but at the end of the day, it's, it's still dinner, right? I look at it all like these are all tools for wealth. And that's supposed to be the end result, whether you're an investor or in business, or you work a nine to five job, like you're going to figure out whatever lane works best for you. But you know, it's all kind of still the same. You can't do an investment without having tax implications, right? But you're not going to get rich or wealthy without doing some type of investment. When I say investment, I also mean start a business, run a business, buy a business as well. Okay. So, um, I'm still, I'm, I'm still on the fence, but I, you know, education is going to be there. I'm going to use that a lot for marketing. Um, but you know, my heart is for educating, like if nobody ever buys anything from me, I'm still going to do content because it's going to help somebody in the long run. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's really the, uh, the bottom line. And we're all black here, right? A large, a large portion of my clients are going to be black. And so obviously as I do more content, it's naturally going to help more black folks. So that ties into part of my original reason for going into finance anyway. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And there's uh, so many ways to get the content out there these days. So that's an honorable thing right there. Um, one question we ask everybody, right? There had to have been a book or something like, so we always talk about books. What are your favorite, what's your favorite business book or what book did you read along the way that kind of like, uh, you know, changed you in terms of how you looked at business or investing or what have you? You can give us a couple books of you. I see you sitting, I see a bunch of books behind you, but um, so you can give us a couple books, but what books do you think like, you know, have really made a change in how you see things? Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad made it a change. I love the mindset piece of it. Um, the Richest Man in Babylon. George Klassen, of course. Everybody, yeah, that's a good one. Um, and, uh, 
There's a book called Black Titan. Uh, A.G. Gaston? Is that A.G. Gaston book? It's A.G. Gaston's. Yeah, um, I read that one, too. That's a good one. That had a profound um, effect on me. Um, I'm really I'm really on this whole black business book kick uh, right now. I don't want to call it a kick, but um, I'm on that. I'm all about that right now. Um, I just read John Johnson's book. I mean, I actually did some of the... I do, I'll do reviews on these books on my YouTube channel as well. Okay, okay. Um, but there is a book. Matter of fact, there's a book right now that I think it's a uh, it's it's really dope. I think everybody should read it. It's called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Hmm, I haven't heard that one. Can't hurt me. I gotta I'm writing yeah. that down. Yeah, so he's a black guy. Um uh Navy SEAL had a, a very tremendous oh, I saw I saw I saw yeah. an interview with him. I saw yeah. an interview with him. Okay. I, I, I'm gonna say this though, his marketing PR machine is a beast. I'll say so it is a New York Times bestseller, but I think I think it's a dope book because he talks about taking the adversities and making them into positives, basically taking lemons and making them into lemonade, but talking about mindset, because I believe mindset is, uh, is everything. Mindset yeah. Is everything. Yeah. So yeah, I haven't read, I haven't uh, read that, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, like you said, because of his marketing machine. Yeah. Right, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick that up. Yeah. You mentioned um, the biographies, right? So you like the, the black business biographies. Yeah, I do. I'll say this too. I like the 80, the 80 20 principle um, mm-hmm. by uh, Richard Koch. That was dope. I really like Shoe Dog too, though. That was yeah, about. Yeah, Phil Knight. So nice. Yeah. I really I really enjoyed that. And then I, I saw a document, um, an interview on him. And he said he was a marketer first. He just sold shoes. Like, so that, so that, you know, going back to what I just said about with, with black businesses, a lot of times our biggest, our biggest hindrance is not being marketers first, but, you know, we are accountants first or, you know, real estate investors first or whatever it may be. That's crazy though. Cause we, we, we good at marketing everybody else's stuff. Yes. 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 You know what I mean? Like we'll market, we'll market some, somebody else's stuff. Like, you know, we, we're great at that, but that's an interesting point. Um, how marketing works, works in terms of business, because let's face it. When you talk about a Nike, that that's pretty much, or even an Apple, Right. Someone make the argument that mm-hmm. Apple doesn't have the best technology and Nike doesn't have the best like sneaker, but the right. the actual marketing behind it is undeniable. Is, is undeniable. It's, it's undeniable. Like it's undeniable. Have you yeah. read the book um Black Fortunes? Oh, it's uh by a brother named Shamari Ellis. I'm no, Shamari Wills. Oh, I'm sorry, Shamari Wills. I said Shamari Ellis. Shamari Wills. So by the, by you saying that, correcting me. All right, there you go. <laughs> I, did, I did a review on it. Okay. Um, okay. This book, man, I think everybody should read this book too. It's super dope. One of the things I, I found really interesting in there is that Madam C.J. Walker wasn't the first. Man, listen, that was the, I was like, whoa, blew my mind. Let me calm down real quick because, like, yo, I, like my wife was reading it too, and when she got to that point, like her mouth dropped, like she because she had never heard of the, um, the other lady. And Madam C.J. Walker got that marketing machine though. Right, that's yeah. what I'm gonna say. Right, going back to the marketing, but to this day, even though the research is done, it's been confirmed several times. That's the narrative now. And once you get the narrative out there, it's hard to defeat the narrative. Yep. Yep. I think that, I, the, the lady's name was Anna, Anna Malone. Animal, animal, Annie Malone. And Annie Malone. CJ yep. Walker and her husband stole the formula from her, like did her dirty. Yeah. And so we give we're praying homage, and I don't want to be disrespectful to No, not at all. Cause she still was a hustler. She still did what she did. But I but right. I get your point though. Right. Like, like we give a praise to the person that didn't even really 
originated. That's hilarious. Like, you should have saw my wife's face when she read that part of the book. Like her mouth dropped because like, you know, she's a woman and Adam C.J. Walker was like, you know, it's like, it's like finding out, you know what I mean? One of your heroes is a liar or something like, you know. Right, exactly, exactly. But that was that was a that was a dope book. I only thought of that because you talked about the black biographies, and um, that's the most recent one I think I've read in terms of biographies of like some of um our people. And man, that was a that was a good read. Like even the old, uh, like even the Black Wall Street piece in there was crazy to me. Right, right. I mean, one one of the things in there that got me thinking, like we need a, we need a black insurance company. Now I know we got North Carolina Mutual, and we still got Atlanta Life to a certain degree, but we need a big one. We need a big one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know what's funny, right? So we get ready to get out of here, but I, I just want to bring something up real quick because throughout this interview, you've referenced insurance several times. So I see that you're a big proponent of insurance, which you should be. Everybody should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so how often do you have clients that, like, you know, maybe you save money, whatever, but don't have insurance? Is that something that you run across? Like, I run across it a lot. I run across it a lot. Um I mean, when I was a financial advisor, uh, people brought a lot of life insurance from me. Um, I've got stories to tell about life insurance. But for the record, I think life insurance is probably the best financial instrument ever created. I'm not licensed to sell it. Um, I don't make any money off of it. But I think when you just look at the leverage you can create with it, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Like when you start breaking down um, ways to when you talk about tax planning, Mm-hmm. the different things you can do with insurance when you get real deep into it. And I've had conversations with professionals and I, and I was licensed at one point. I'm no license, no longer licensed with insurance. Like I said, mm-hmm. um, my securities and, and insurance license, I let them go years ago. But when you talk to someone who's deep into it and you see the ways that it can be utilized, it will blow your mind. You talk about, you know, um, tax planning, man, it's, it's a very powerful instrument for those that want to study it. I mean, I was fortunate enough. I mean, part of the reason why, I'm able to like understand all the stuff. My journey. I was fortunate enough to work at MetLife's uh, number one, number one or number two agency in the country that was here in the Delaware Valley for quite some time, um, and they used estate planning, succession planning, um, executive compensation planning, all as tools to sell life insurance. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying that the stuff that they were coming out with was phony, but at the end of the day the way they monetize it was selling through life insurance. Speaking of marketing, since you said that, I was like, oh, Snoopy was getting money. Like, see, I already associated, yeah. I associated Snoopy. Yeah. So that, there you go with the marketing piece. Yeah. That goes back to marketing. He's definitely getting money. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you could talk about estate planning, there's so, many, there's so many tools and techniques that we can leverage with estate planning. But, again, it takes a certain mindset to even get there. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of life insurance. I think life insurance is dope. When used properly, excuse me, when used properly, but yeah, I think, I think it's very important for life insurance, also disability insurance. I mean, there's so many things you can do with it. And like you said, it can be used as a tax planning tool. Yeah, man, listen, you give us a lot of gems right now, man. A lot of stuff I'm going to take away from this interview, especially like a couple of things I want to bring back up um, in terms of getting together as a group and going to one business, like. I know I've never heard of that until this actual interview. So I think that's a dope idea. Um, tax planning 
instead of waiting to the last minute is something that, you know, um, I got to start bringing that up to people. Like, you know, what are you, what are you doing tax wise and talk about that during the course of the year right. instead of, instead of just like, you know, when, when April comes around. So I mean, you're giving us a lot of gems, man. I just want to say thank you. We want to uh, wish you continued success with your business and education or whatever you do in the future, man. Thanks for your time. Well, let me throw in one more thing. Mm-hmm. We saw those five brothers that brought that uh, building in South Philly. I think it was right. Yeah. 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 We posted that. Yeah. So, um, I was doing something very similar with a group of guys in the nineties and we was putting in like 25 bucks a month. If more of us got together and stayed together and just took, I don't care if it's $10 a month, $25 a month, just let it sit. And then you have cash to invest in things, man, that would be, that would be phenomenal. Absolutely. Working together, man. And, 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 and the thing is, it's funny, right? Because that's a pain point, like what me and Corey go through. Right. So, I could buy as many buildings as I want to, but the fact is I can't do as much as I would like to do if I were able to get a group. And we've tried to start, start groups several times, but because of uh, some of the things we talked about in terms of trust and all that, like that's one thing I've never been able to do. Like, you know. Uh, what kind of group you want to start? Real um, estate or just overall investment? Overall investment. Let's talk. No doubt. No doubt. We will do that. Yeah, no doubt. Talk. My man. Corey, Corey, see what I do anyway. So let's talk. Let's you get talk. busy. We know that. All right, my man. That's, that's what's up, man. It's listen, though. For those out there, um, uh, make sure you go pick up Corey and I's book, Own Your Time and Space. You can go to ownyourtimeandspace.com. Um, the link will also be in the description box. Uh, that's, that's our book out there that me and Corey uh, co-wrote together. Oh, I didn't um, know that. All right, I got caught that. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, we, 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 we out here putting in work, man. But what hey, other Corey. Being... hey, Corey, I'm mad at you, man. You got, you got books. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we, hey, we always, I guess we ain't really that tight. I know we only Facebook. Hey, hey, listen. Hey, listen. You, you, you heard we struggle. Everybody struggles at marketing, right? Sound like we sound like, like, hey. like, like we I'm struggling too. too. I'm struggling too. But we we go at it though. Like we talk talk. Like you know. That's why I knew your name. Like you could have told me you had a book, man. Come on. <laughs> hey, talking about that in the group. We listen. We we'll, we'll definitely get to it. We'll definitely get to it. Nah, it's all love, bro. It's no doubt, love. though. But listen, man. If uh, all our uh, listen, listen. Um, our following is growing. Um, we've got other sites posting about us, and we appreciate all the love, all the support. Because all we want to do is tell these stories. The brothers, this is out here in the community that are doing great work. Um, these stories need to be told. Like I said, representation matters. I've had people reach out to me. Literally, I can I can show the screenshots of I wouldn't do that, but people literally telling me like, man, I didn't know that was you know people doing this or doing that, trading yeah. options, yeah. you know. So I'm pretty sure we get a lot of comments from this episode as well. But we want to continue to share these stories. So we just want to say thank you to everybody out there that's uh, helped us support us, and um also thanks to all the parents that brought their kids out to our uh, our finance class this past weekend. We had a tremendous outpouring, and we got some smart kids in there this year. So we're doing our summer camp right now. So by the time you see this episode, we'll probably have a couple weeks left. But um, you can go to at by the hood on Instagram and you see everything that we're doing in the community and um, any events or meetings that we're having. But with that being said, man, um, thanks again, Kamar. We appreciate your time. Um, you know, we look forward to seeing what you're going to do in the future. And we'll post all your social media links so people can, uh, you know, see you have your, your heated debates uh, in the finance rebel, they call them, right? <laughs> so with that being said, man, as we always tell you out there, it's not about how much money you make, it's how much you keep. Game elevates, man, and thank you for all the uh, support, man. We appreciate it. Peace. Absolutely.